Hi everybody and welcome to the new episode of the NSL's podcast. This is our Scallys Cup special. Much like the Glasgow Derby extravaganza, we have all six of us on tonight. So we've got John, William, Anthony, Ross and Francis. How are you all? Hi, good, good, good. Yep, good. No worries. All ready to go, yeah? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No problem at all. So the first thing we're going to do is just look ahead to the game, the Glasgow Derby game on Sunday, which is in the Scottish Cup. <clears throat> now, what we've seen, the previous game for Livingston, we won 6-0. Quite convincingly, it was a good performance all round. Some great play, some great combination play. But look at the Scottish Cup, Anthony, I'll come to you first. In regards to if we win this, this will be our fifth Fifth Scottish Cup in a row, which is, is a, would be a fantastic achievement. Are you confident in this game, Anthony? I'm, I'm as confident as I've be, I'm going to be considering the forum that we've been in on the run-up to the game. Um, we've not played great, um, even after uh, Lennon's uh, new, new, uh, resignation. But we've, um, we're slowly turning the corner a wee bit. I thought we played well against Livingston. Um, so I think we're as, in as good a shape as we possibly can be. Um, to go, I think Rangers. Listen, they're obviously going to have the home advantage, and you know we've got to be wary of that. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm as confident as as I possibly can be that we can get a result. Yeah, I think you make a great point in terms of turning the corner. Obviously, when Neil Allen left and Canley took in term charge, it was kind of the same for the the rest of the the rest of the games. And Livingston has been probably the main marker that's been laid winning six 0 But Francis, what do you think in regards to the way Celtic played that game? On the weekend against Livingston, do you think we're looking too much into it? As in, maybe Livingston weren't quite at their best. We've seen them cause us problems previously, but do you think it's a bit of false confidence? I don't think it's false confidence. I mean, I appreciate it as only Livingston and more at home, but I think, not to put a lot on James Ford, I think he was a big, a big, big difference just at the fact that he comes back into it and, and stuff. And But the performance has got to give the players a boost going in it. You can only... It's all cliche, you can only beat what's in front of you. And yeah, like Anthony said, we hadn't been great since Lennon had left. But the Livingston performance was, you've got to call it for what it is, it was a really good performance. We were clinical for once this season. And yeah, I think just it's got to give the players a boost, just the way they played and boys scoring and that. So I have, I'm have, i fairly confident going into the game, just simply because of the Livingston, like, well, not simply because of it, but... Because like, Livingston games has to give you confidence, and then the previous games against Rangers this season, apart from the first one at Ibrox, we we've played fairly well, especially the previous game at Ibrox. We did actually turn in a decent performance for sixty minutes until they send off, which changed it. So, I've I'm fairly confident going into the game, more confident than I have been this season. Yeah, I think you make a good point. James Torres has been he's been a revelation since he's back. I mean, he's made such a difference. I noticed on the weekend as well. I touched upon it with Amy and John on our previous podcast. He seems, I know he's had it, but his game intelligence at the minute seems to be on top. He's popping up on the left, in the centre, and in the right as well. So he's kind of across all bases. Um, William, in terms of the players themselves, the likes of James Forrest, likes of Edward, and Moyon, you see he's turned some fantastic performances in as well. It's key that they're on top of their game, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I tend to disagree slightly with the guys. Um I don't think there. I think there has been a difference since Kennedy's um, taken over. Um, we're more. I think we're more solid defensively. I think we've only conceded one goal since he's came in against Rangers, and uh, we've obviously created however many hundred chances it is in the four games or whatever. And I think in the in the two or three games that we we didn't pick up all three points, uh, if we take 
one or two of the chances uh, and we win the games, we're, we're sitting having a totally different conversation right now. I think there's been a massive improvement and uh, I'm I'm fairly confident about the the game on Sunday. I get what you mean about improvement. I have to disagree with yourself, William. I think it's just been, this has been coming for me all season where Celtic have kind of had the click in the gear. We've seen it at, in the Derby game on, in January that Francis talked about. We, we were the dominant side up until the sending off and we could have scored three or four in the first half especially. But I, there's not much difference for me. I think he's playing the same way. Yes, he's reverted back to the 4-2-3-1 more recently in the Livingston game. It kind of switches between the diamond and affirmation. But are you well, are you warming to the fact that Kenny might be a contender for the job? Or is that just the opinion of yourself? No, no, not at all. No, I don't. I, like For me, Kennedy shouldn't be the one that's in charge next year. But I do see improvement in the team. I do, like I say, I think we're more solid defensively. Um, we've only conceded one goal. Uh, and I think the the team looks like it's been given a bit of a boost with the transition play, the movements a lot better. Um, there is improvement, but that's no. I'm not saying that Kennedy is the man to take us forward uh, in the long term. I just uh, I feel more comfortable with the team now than I did six weeks ago. I think we're playing a lot better. Uh, like I say, many chances created in all games, uh, and the games that we didn't win, we should have won clearly. Um, we put a few of the chances away, and I think we're having a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from. Yes. <clears throat> There's been, there has been improvement in terms of the yeah, combination play, passing. The passing seems a lot more crisp. But, Ross, do, do you share what William's saying? Have you seen the improvement? But me, personally, I think it's been, apart from the Livingston game, I mean, the first couple of games, Kenny was in charge, there was a draw in there as well. So it's not been all gung-ho, as, as, as people are saying at the moment. I know we had something like 92 shots in two games and we scored three against Falkirk and stuff. But, I mean... For me, the, the improvement should be far, far, far more than it is already. We're, we we should be operating on a different level. Are, are you of the opinion of what William's saying, Ross? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I tend to agree with William a bit. Um, I would say that like, yeah. in the first couple of games, like Kennedy took over, I don't think you were you were going to see a drastic change. Uh, it, it didn't change too much, but I think... In the last maybe two games, his message, if you like, is starting to get over a wee bit better. Uh, they're playing me a lot more pace, but I mean, it's no coincidence that they're they're playing with a, mo- a lot more pace and a lot more penetrating uh, since Forrest has came back. It's no coincidence, but um, I I would agree with William that they are there is improvements there now, and as, and as he said. If we take our chances in the previous games, like say against Rangers, uh, Dundee United, for instance, just poor finishing. We had clear chances against Dundee United, and just it was it was poor finishing that stopped us from winning that game comfortably. Uh, and as well, I touched on as well, uh, we've only conceded what, was it one goal in that time. Uh, so there's obviously a marked improvement defensively. Um, as regards set pieces and stuff like that, I don't think you look as vulnerable. Uh, but I mean, time will tell. The more we'll, we'll, we'll probably put under more pressure, the more than we have been in the, the previous games that Kennedy's took charge. Of. So uh, I think we'll have to be on our A game uh, as regards set pieces and stuff because we've been caught out previously against Rangers this season with set pieces as, as well as other teams. 
Uh, but I, uh, <clears throat> again, I don't think Kennedy, I've said it previously, I don't think Kennedy's the man to take us forward uh, next season, but he's certainly doing an okay job of things at the moment. Uh, and the message for me is getting across slowly but surely. Yeah, I mean, the thing that pops up in my mind, I just wonder where this, where these solutions were during the season. We all, uh, we always said Kennedy for me is guilty by association with the catastrophe that we've seen this season, and maybe there is a role from at Celtic Park, but I don't think it should be the manager's role. And granted, the six 0 win, but I, I kind of, for me anyway, it kind of points to high things we're celebrating. It should be a routine victory against Livingston when we're beating them six 0 It shouldn't be something to be like, wow, we're really on form and we're gonna, we're gonna want to run. I, I don't know your, yourself, John here, but a, a point I want to make to yourself as well. We've seen Elanusi come into form. Eddie has been up and down. He's too inconsistent. But where's the likes of Elanusi being consistently? We know he's our second top goal scorer, and we talked about him a wee bit on the Tuesday's podcast. But if these guys let Celtic down as well this season, for me personally, they definitely have. Um, I would disagree uh, with that, and that I don't think Elanusi um, has had enough starts this year. Um, although his appearances have come really off the bench uh, and the, f- the fact that and I've, I've touched on this previous the fact that he's a, a second top goal scorer with limited starts uh, tells you a lot about the type of player he is uh, I think one of the issues that we faced under Lennon uh, and initially under Kennedy uh, just to touch on what the boys were saying is they were played out of position sometimes and I don't think tactically Kennedy was, at the start of his reign anyway was uh, setting the team up right um, but obviously, with Forrest's return, we've been able to revert back to the 4-3-2, uh, 4-2-3-1 sorry, uh, and utilise that width. And it's perfect because now you've got an actual left and right sided player uh, on the park and you can you can utilise them the best way possible. So they're playing in their more natural positions and I think that that's one of the things we've been missing. Uh, and I, I've touched on that previously as well. So I don't think uh, Elinousi specifically is one of the ones that's let us down because he's been... Proficient in his scoring, like I said, with limited starts. You could say that a lot of the other players throughout the team, um, their heads have dropped definitely. We know how good they are. We've seen in previous seasons how good they can be. Um, whether or not that comes down to a coaching issue, an attitude issue, uh, I'm not sure. But uh, I think you could definitely, as Anthony says, you, you could see uh, against Livingston, uh, with the return of Forrest, that the heads seem to be lifted a bit and were, were able to set up tactically a little bit better to suit the players that we've got available and I think we've definitely turned the corner in that respect. Yeah, and another thing as well, Anthony, John, you make some fantastic points. I, I think as well, I'm not kind of necessarily single out Elanousi, but I think Edwards let us down this season and he's our top goal scorer. I think he's been too inconsistent. The thing I'm pointed to is consistency within the team and James Forrest me coming back has made a, a big difference with that. But what I want to say to you, Anthony, do you not think with James Forrest coming back and giving us that boost, do you not think it just shows how unprepared Celtic went into this season not signing a replacement for Forrest or at least competition? I just think it points to a wee bit of lack of planning there. Like, uh, Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's sort of been a lack of a plan B, so to speak, on, on, on so many uh, different, you know, areas at Celtic on and off the park for me. Um, listen, it's one of, it's an age-old thing, you know, if, you, if one of your best players gets injured, there's 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 going to be an obvious uh, shortfall. And when he comes back, there's obviously going to be, un- hopefully, an uplift in fortunes as well. James Forrest would improve most football sides um, 
he brings a lot more. But what, what I've noticed, there's a lot more balance in the team the last couple of weeks, and it's because there is a sort of outball, if you were, with, with with James Forrest. You guys were talking about it on the other podcast the other night about it was very tippy tappy stuff around the the 18 yard box, no penetration, and that's because I would I would argue that. And, and that that is where your point's absolutely spot on, Stephen. There's there's no really a substitute for Forrest, or there's no one that can really fill in. You can maybe say, yeah, Mikey Johnson's a bit versatile, but he's not in James Forrest's league. Let's let's be honest. James Forrest and he's always injured too, he, and, <laughs> and he's very injury prone. Yeah, and I just feel that having him back in the team, and, and you know, he's he's prone to his poor games like like a lot of the players are. But I I, I just think you can see the the the, the difference in. The, the other guys on the part knowing that there's someone out wide that they can trust to have an effect on the game um, is, is is paying off. Uh, I hope that the injury he picked up last Saturday isn't too bad and that he will be available for, for Sunday because he, he would be a massive boost um, if he's available. Yeah, I mean, as well, if you look at the likes of Cal McGregor in there, they seem to be a bit, wee bit more going forward, a wee bit more adventurous, and then you've got Turnbull. Um, Ross, what about yourself? I think I seen on the weekend. I don't. I don't know if a lot of people seen it, but there was a clip. I know the streams were quite bad, but I managed to see this uh, clip. The the three coaches. It was McManus, uh, Kennedy, and Gavin Strachan. Now we all know my opinions on Gavin Strachan, especially. But they were talk. They were talking to the players, and they seemed engaged. They seemed to be listening to what they were saying. Is that another thing that was missing this whole season? That communication does seem to be lost from manager to team because we're seeing. Um, Cal McGregor come out before in one of the games and said they didn't know what they were actually doing on the pitch in terms of the game plan. Um, well, I, I mean, I never actually seen that, but I heard you talking about it the other night. Um, so it's difficult for me to comment, but I, I mean, as regards the, the rest of the season, there has been a disconnect for the coaching staff and getting a message onto the pitch. And you, you can just, you've seen it all season. Everybody's watched enough football to know that there was discontent there. and. Uh, right down to I think probably Lennon and Kennedy had had a fallout because Kennedy I know he's like in the manager's role now and he, he will be buoyed by that but he looks a different character altogether uh, on the touchline uh, he done some interviews uh, when Lennon was the manager but he just looks a completely different character uh, I, I think probably there could be a place for Kennedy at in the coaching staff still, um, but I think I'm in the same boat as yours, guards Gavin Strachan, he can go anytime he wants and he can pack his laptop up into its wee case and take it with him, uh, for all I care, <laughs> um, frankly. <laughs> but uh, aye, there, uh, there's definitely, you can, there's definitely a message getting to the players like I've said and there's more of a connect between the players and the staff now than there was when Lennon was there and it's no disrespect to Lennon he just obviously had lost something's happened you'll never know fully what it was but we've all seen enough football to know that there was disconnect there between the players and him and it was it was sad to see but it's just the way it goes in football sometimes yeah, I think you're 100% right. And I say that because people on this podcast now think 100% right is my catchphrase. But yeah, <laughs> so we've seen we've seen as well uh, good news coming out of Celtic Football Club for once. 
Um, Steve Wilson signed a new four-year contract, which I think is fantastic. I think all us guys on this podcast kind of want the youth to progress as how they can get their chance. What what were you thinking about that news, Francis? For me, I think it's a fantastic bit of business to tie him down because he's been a bright spark this season. And yes, we've always alluded to, he got his chance by a fluke, but he's definitely grabbed that, hasn't he? Oh, 100%. He's, like you say, got it, got out of luck, but sometimes that's how it, some players get their chance. You've got to just be ready, and he clearly was. He had some shaky starts at the game against Rangers at Parkhead and stuff, but he was a young lad. But yeah, totally, I think it's a great, great move for Celtic. It'll hopefully give the boy confidence going forward that know, they know that uh, he's not... Well, uh, he's obviously an out of necessity, to be fair, but... Uh, the fact that they've gave him a contract, hopefully it gives him a confidence to look, be actually believe in you and be, we're going to look at you for the future going forward and stuff. So I, I think it's a great move for Celtic and like you say, it's a shining light on this season and it'll be nice for the fans to see that we're, we're putting a wee bit of faith in some of the youth and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difference from youth leaving us to go to the likes of Bayern Munich, tying yeah. someone down on a long contract is quite decent. I know he's, what, 21 now, so he's not really... A younger player, so to speak, yeah. but he's a homegrown boy, which is great to see. Um, John, I, I want to come to you about that. So we're seeing as well, um, Yogi John Hughes coming out and saying about Leo Leo Hilda, I think that's the way you pronounce it, is going to be the next Virgil van Dijk. Now that's some pressure to put in a young boy at 17 years old. But as I said on our Twitter post, by all accounts, he has making a good impression. The likes of him and Welsh, are they the future of Celtic, or would you be not? Would you want a more experienced defender coming in to fill that void next season? Um, I think the defence is still one area we need to strengthen. Um, and I mean, in all fairness to Wills, like you said, he, he's come in, he's took his chance, uh, and he's been fantastic. Uh, but it's been out of necessity. Uh, and what happens when Julian's back? I seen that he seems to be back uh, in training as part of his injury rehab, so he's he's ahead of schedule in terms of his return. Um, when you've got the likes of him back, if we hold on to Ayer, uh, then obviously uh, you suspect that maybe. Welsh, uh, I'll move to a position on the bench. Um, so, I mean, I don't think I, th- I think it's absolutely fantastic that we're, we're giving the youth a chance and we're signing them on long-term deals and putting a bit of faith in them and letting them know that we definitely see something in them. Uh, Welsh has definitely wanted his contract uh, with the performance he's put in since he came in. Um, but it's a difficult one because uh, I mean, Welsh has done it. He's came in um, and, and and he's played well. Uh, but what, where does he, what's his uh, position going to be or, or how is he going to take it if he's reserved to the bench once Julian's back? Uh, we don't know what the situation with Ayer is yet. Uh, if, if we keep him, I suspect that Julian and Ayer would be a starting centre-backs. But if Ayer leaves, then you've got potential Julian and Welsh. Um, and then that's pretty much it. Uh, so I think defensively, uh, it's still a, an area we need to strengthen. So we, I, I think we need to sign somebody. Um, in regards to Yogi's comments about that... Uh, for Hilde, that's an awfully big statement to make. I mean, I, I've, I've heard that he's a fantastic young player. Uh, he's got the size, uh, the, the strength and everything else, and he's definitely somebody who could potentially be a star. Um, but we need to remember where he's playing at the minute um, and comparing him to who, somebody who is essentially the, the greatest defender in the world at the minute is, is certainly a, a massive claim. Uh, I don't think he's there yet. But there's there's certainly no reason that the the boy can't be a star for Celtic. But again, it comes down to we need to give these guys a chance, and if they continue to develop, um, then absolutely, I don't see why these guys can't go on and and become those type of players. I mean, yeah, I think as well, you're you're right when you say 
if we're, we're left with Ayer and Julian, then you do need to strengthen. I mean, you can't rely on like if Leo Helder coming back from Ross County to fill that void. I know maybe he could be dipped in out next season or sent on own again, like Ayer was the Kilmarnock. I think that really give him a good a good feel of what the Scottish Premier League's like. And you look at him now, he's a fantastic defender. But coming to yourself, Anthony, in regards to the Yogi's comments, was that something you thought? I mean, I've seen a lot of players. You've seen the likes of Islam Farouz coming for his Celtic he was compared to all sorts of players and you, you can go through you can go through a whole list of them. But do you think them type of comments sometimes could be too much pressure, especially at seventeen years old? I absolutely do. Yeah, I thought that I thought it was a very silly and ill thought comment to to come away with, Stephen. Um, there's listen, it's great to hear if the if the young lads settling in well and he's progressing. Um, but you can you can big up and praise uh, youth without putting needless pressure on them. Um, I, I would say you know comparing as as John says, trying to, to name dropping the world's greatest centre half into the conversation. I, I I don't know what he's maybe just. I mean, Yogi Hughes is is known for that that those kind of comments. I I I don't know what he was trying to sort of achieve with them. I just thought, by all means, say he's a, you know he's a he's dedicated. He's professional. He's got every opportunity to go a long way in the game. You know, I can I could write you the script now, but name dropping Virgil Van Dijk into the conversation is is um the the spin off series. You know that the the interview you done with Young McNally the other day. It, 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 he admitted himself. He, he says he, you know, he, he took on a lot of these social media comments, and you know, he, he sort of got distracted around that time where where what he should have been really doing is is focusing on his football. So getting that kind of um, that, that those sort of comments made by a guy that's looking after you essentially until he's back at Celtic, I, I just thought it was very very silly, um, and 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 it's not anything John Hughes is going to be responsible for long term uh, you know it's it's going to be up to the, the the young guy himself to to sort of you know apply himself but i just think there's there's ways of going about it and that was certainly not the way to do it yeah i think he's made also comments in regards to ryan christie could go on to a top club and obviously certainly got a top club and i think he was meaning down in england like the top four and that's probably led to ryan christie getting a massive head as i always say but if we look heads massive look for the, if we look at the youth frost and we do talk about it a lot but it's, it's a very important subject it's, it's close to me and I like hearing about it as well but if we look, look at the youth and the new management team coming in right and we're all expecting it to be Eddie High or Eddie Now or Eddie Wayne whenever it is whenever it may be but <laughs> it's it's like going forward the youth policy as Patrick Minnelli said in the interview as well it, it needs to be set in stone what they're going to be doing from the youth right to the first team, isn't it? It's the same formation, the same training. Surely that's the way forward for Celtic in the future. Um, aye, well, I suppose I suppose you could say it is, aye. Um, you, you want to get the, the younger players playing the same way as the team, the, the, the first team, if you like, so that when they do go, or when they do get their chance, if they get their chance, they know the formation and all that and, and the way it works but I mean it's very difficult to to do that I would say because there's going to be different types of players and a different style of game that their game is set up for like guys in the youth it's not, they're not going to be ready to play the exact style of football that the first team play because they're a different team 
Uh, that's like saying, uh, like I know it's a bit uh, wild, but that's like saying that Celtic could play the way that, or they should have Celtic playing the way that Barcelona play, uh, or, or when they had Javi and stuff, but they've not got the players to do that. And if, if they players, if the, the youth team have got players that are no set up to play, or their game isn't suited to play the exact same way as the the first team, then do they compromise what their game is, what, what their stronger points are, just so that they're ready to go into a team? That, like the first team, I, I don't know, it's a difficult one. Uh, yeah. See, I, sorry sorry to jump in. I, d- I don't think that's what Stephen's meaning, Ross. It's like, I think he's meaning however the Celtic team play the first team, get the reserves and under 21s and that playing kind of that way. We're not expecting to be Barcelona and play like how Barcelona play, but the Barcelona, the Barcelona youth set up is built on all that ticky tacky football. I think it's just a way of football. It's no, we're not expecting Javi, Javi and Iniesta's and that. Aye, but you're you're no listening to me. I, that's not what I'm saying. I understood what Stephen was saying, but I, I was just using the an example of the Celtic first team. Like our players are no geared up to play that style of football. So maybe the younger team, like the guys in that team, their game's no geared up to play like the same style of football as because it's a team game at the end of the day. Aye. Maybe eleven players that play for the youth team. Their game will be the exact same. Like all their players will not be the exact same game that suited to each individual as for as in the first team. So it's very difficult. Do you ask the, the the youth team to go out and maybe start losing games because they're trying to play the same way as the first team, but it's no, they're no geared up for that. If you know what I mean. I think it's just trying yeah, to get so a little bit of philosophy. Try to get that philosophy into it. And just how they play. Yeah. I would agree that's with that. See, process. I was going to, I, I was going to say there as well, uh, Ross. I understand what you're saying, but Aye. I think for f- the first team, obviously, you want a manager in place who's going to have the first team playing a certain a tactic, a familiar tactical style, so there's familiarity through the, throughout the squad, and playing a certain type of football, and that needs to be top to bottom right through the, the club, or through Aye. their development as well, making sure that even for the youngest ages, that that's drilled into them. This is the way. The, the tap team play and they all should be training together they shouldn't be segregated in any way uh, like your your younger boys who are the ones that are most likely to come through and get a chance in the first team they should be training with the first team constantly and on a consistent basis but definitely for a tactical standpoint in terms of formation and things like that that should be drilled through the club top to bottom Aye, I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I, I tend to hear what you're saying there but like if, if Celtic have got like the first team have got for Tottenham's sake two ball-playing centre-halves and the youth team have got two ball-winners, ball aerial guys, then they you can't expect the guys, when their game isn't ball-playing centre-half, to try and that's, play. That'll be part of their development, right? So aye, aye. For, for a younger aye. age, you, you, you can mould these guys. So if, you're, if your tactics set up to accommodate two sort of ball-playing centre-halves, in that case, then right through... Or the youth levels. If you're bringing these guys up and you're developing them, that's you, you sort of you teach those things. You get them playing yeah. in a similar style. Maybe they'll know grasp everything perfectly. But sometimes guys are just they're just defenders, but they're no footballers. If you know what I mean. I know they, they types of players are few and far between. Though, by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just like giving it another 
like side mm. of the argument, if you like. What, what I'm what I'm saying, Ross, as well is advocate. <laughs> what I'm what 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 I'm saying as well, John and William, you've got it spot on. If you look at the the Barcelona academy structure, right from their nine Francis, years older. By the way, sorry, uh, Francis, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. So right right from the academy structure, they've got uh, a set philosophy. They know that they're going to be playing this style of football. And if you coach as young as nine, I'm pretty sure them ball winners can be turned into ball players as well. So I get what you mean. Some players can be uncoachable, but then you have to spot that early. If they're not coachable, then it's 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 kind of a cutthroat business and you, you have to let some players go and then you move on and recruit from there. Now, I know we said at the start of the show we're, we're looking ahead to the Scottish Cup game, and yes, we are. I mean, this is all going to tie mm-hmm. into it. And I think it's important to talk to the, talk about the youth, which brings me on to another point. I'm not going off on a tangent here or anything, but we've seen the Celtic cult um, thing being being like an idea floated around the bottom leagues and stuff. And I think they're having a vote soon, or maybe the vote's been agreed but not released yet. Um, Anthony, what what's your opinion on the Celtic the Celtic Colts? Do you think that would be a great idea going forward? Uh, no, uh, I I don't, and I don't think the vote's going to go through. I think the way that so uh, you, you'll notice um, when it was getting panned about at the start, it was very much in the media. It was very much a Rangers idea, and you know it was it was absolutely a fantastic. It was going to trailblaze uh, Scottish football. Um, but now that it's looking like it's not going to go through, it's suddenly become an old firm idea. You know, it's a bit like Andy Murray and Wimbledon, isn't it? Any time he, he wins, he's <laughs> British. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And it's just, um, I'm, I must admit, I'm, I'm not in favour of it. The, the one thing that I can maybe get on board with, and it's not actually even anything to do with Celtic but per se, is the fact that these um, lower league clubs might get a few more punters through the gates. Um which is great, certainly in the post-COVID uh, world, would be great for, you know, hopefully them keeping the, the lights on. In terms of developing Celtic uh, youth players, I, I, I really don't see any benefit to, to us in it at all. I know Real Madrid and Barcelona um, have a sort of similar thing in Spain, but I think the real... Nobody's arguing. I would absolutely agree that there has to be a lot of reform at, um you know, youth level, etc. But I, I, I really don't see what putting a putting our most promising young players up against, you know, part time postmen and stuff like that is 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 going to do to develop them. I think what the the, the next gen series, which sort of it seems to have fallen by the wayside, and a proper reserve league and a proper pathway into um sort of first team um sort of first team opportunities. Is a far more viable way of going about it. As I say, I'm, I'm, I don't want to see any club go to the wall. Um, but, but, and again, that's one of the other things I don't like about it. It's almost we're almost trying to bribe clubs into accepting this. And, chair, and chairman and lord league clubs are going to stick their heels into it because they can see that effectively it's only going to benefit two clubs in the whole of Scotland. And I'd, I, as I obviously want to see the best young talent shine at Celtic, but I also don't want the whole of Scottish football to be ran to the, the for the benefit of two two clubs. Um, I, I can see little pockets of good ideas or good thoughts with the, the idea, but the overall project, it's almost like a smaller version of Project Big Picture down in England. It, it's just... It's an, a non-starter for me, and um, but and, but by going by what I've seen so far, it looks like the vote isn't going to go through. So, yeah. Um, but th- there has to be a big reform, but yeah. I, I don't think the Coke idea is the way forward. 
I mean, for me, I have to agree, uh, disagree with you, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, Anthony. I think mm-hmm. it can benefit both parties in terms of leagues and clubs. And also, the in terms of attendance, there'll be, there'll be Celtic fans going to these games and also Rangers fans, and they'll bump up their finances in lower leagues. And it's, it's not really, for me, about who they're playing against and what opposition and what standard they're at. It's about getting competitive football for these young players because they get to a certain level at Celtic Football Club and there's nothing apart from the first team. And then if they don't get in the first team, then they're leaving, join the legs of Bayern Munich, who have a clear pathway, the legs of Manchester City, Brighton to Angelini, the goalkeeper, apparently going there on trial. So we need we need something to entice these players to say. Francis, what, what's your... I know you suggested a reserve league, but I that reserve league got scrapped and I personally don't think it should have been scrapped. We've seen the likes of McGeady, Sean Maloney, all them players come through that system and it didn't do them no harm. Surely the way forward is to get some competitive football for the youth academy in terms of the reserve team. Is that your opinion, Francis? Or are you on the Anthony boat? No, to be fair, I've, I've been on record as saying I'm on your boat. I, but Anthony does raise really good points about it. Like The next-gen thing in that was a good thing because we're playing against elite sort of teams in their youth setup. But I just think maybe... I know you shouldn't, it has got to be benefiting Celtic and Rangers long term, but as a business at the end of the day, and I suppose the guys at Celtic and Rangers, if they're not doing their job right, if they're doing their job right, sorry, they should be doing what's best for Celtic and Rangers. I just, I, I'm with you, I just think we need our youth playing and getting, at least if they're getting some sort of competitive football, it might entice them to say, stay, but it's maybe just a short-term plan, because I, I, say, I do think Anthony makes good points on the, the standard we're going to be playing against isn't going to be great. So, yeah, I think I think the idea is good, but maybe does, the more I think about it and stuff, and like what Anthony said, I think you maybe need maybe tweak it a wee bit or something, but I don't know how you would do that when the deal is just playing the lower leagues. Yeah. See when you're talking I mean, about like, like a reserve league and stuff like that, guys. Like, you, so, I know there's a certain standard we're talking about here, but you telling me, like, if St. Mirren <laughs> Reserves got put into uh, League 2, they're going to walk that league? I'm no, not so sure there's a massive difference between St. Mirren Reserves team and a team in that lower league. For me, I, um, I, like, I, I agree with the next-gen stuff and how they, like, I know uh, you talked to uh, McNally in the other podcast and he talked about going away in the European games and that. Yeah, that's massive. But you can't tell me that St. Mirren Reserves are um, better than like say Peterhead or whatever, whoever's in, in in the league too, and it's exposure and it's competitive football and it's fans coming to games. So if, for me, I'm I, like I, I see positives. I know there is a lot of negatives too, but um, from the competitive side of things, I I, I don't see what how it's going to be any less competitive than it would be in a reserve league. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that actually. So would that. See, because you look at the if if the, the uh, granted, like Anthony made some good points, the it only really benefits Celtic and Rangers uh, in that case. Um, but you're saying, like you said, William made a, a fantastic point. The level that we're playing against in the reserve league isn't going to be much greater than League Two. And if our youths, both Celtic and Rangers, uh, are as talented as we believe they are then it's a huge step up in competition for the lower league teams and that can only help their development and like you say it's for a financial aspect as well it's definitely a positive but I agree there definitely needs to be some sort of reform and the next gen idea maybe even look at like a European Youth League or something like that and let all the top teams in these countries 
their youth teams all playing a league together because that benefits everybody in that case. That that yeah. would be more the sort of thing that 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 would I would if I was a chairman I would probably vote for something like that that, that you suggest there, John. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that for me that opens a whole different kind of worms in terms of uh, Atlantic leagues, continental leagues. Then you have the likes of Celtic will be looking to join these leagues. And personally, my opinion is. On that, I'm not going to get into it, but I think Celtic do need to get out of the Scottish Premier League to grow as a club. We all know we're a Scottish club, but you look down south, there's Welsh clubs pending this league, and we always seem to get rejected. I don't know why, but I think for the future, I'll tell anyway, you why because they're scared. Sky. It's yeah. fear. The three, you let Celtic, a club like Celtic, and I hate to say it, but Rangers as well, right? Just due to their size into the English leagues, like even if you start them in the lower leagues, just due to the, the size and the draw. And the money that's involved, we're already making more money in the English low leagues than we are up here, right? Mm. You're attracting better players right off the bat. And the, the fear is is that you're going to end up then with two clubs, non-English clubs, this it, because of the size and the stature that they've got. Winning the league. Winning the league. <laughs> and, I mean, sorry, back in the day when they, they let Cardiff and Swansea and that, and they, they were they're tiny clubs. And I don't think they'd ever thought, well, there's no chance of ever winning the English Premier League. But... Celtic Rangers actually can compete yeah. and they've got the fan base, they've got the size, they've got the, the reputation to be able to do that and that's what they don't like. Yeah. And I've said it I from mean, the start and it, it, they're shiting themselves. Yeah. And, and, and you lot, I knew that would trigger somebody at least and John <laughs> rightly, rightly get on that. But, <laughs> I, I, I think everybody's echoed that. But, <laughs> but I don't want to go down that route on the podcast. We all know our feelings mm-hmm. and I think it's perfectly clear. But if we move on I'm going to move on to the, the weekend's game. We spoke about the youth there, so this ties into it. And I'm going to do something different. We usually leave the lineup predictions till the end, but we're going to do them now, mainly because we've got another segment coming up that it ties into. So I'll go to you, John, first. What, what have you gone for in terms of your lineup? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I suspect it's going to be largely the same as it was against Livingston. Uh, we'll set up uh, 4 2 3 1. Um, I suspect Bain's going to start, Taylor on the left. Uh, Ayer, Welsh, Kenny, um, then McGregor, Brown in the middle of the park, and then Elanousi, Turnbull, Forrest, and Eddie. No problem. And what about yourself, Francis? What are we going for? Uh, almost man for man as John. I've went Bain, Kenny, Welsh, Ayer. I've actually went Lax out left back because he seems to play decent against Razor. He always seems to occupy their sort of a right side of the park and that so I've kind of put Laxell in more for his energy back and forward then I've I've went with the I think he'll play with the diamond with Brown Brown at the sort of the bottom of it with Tumble at the tip then McGregor and Forrest either side and Moy Ilyanusi and Eddie up top I just think he'll maybe play the diamond because we're a wee bit used to it but then it gives you that scope to go to the the four two three one without actually making a substitution if you like yeah so there's flexibility in that as well yeah that's pretty Pretty cool. What about yourself, William? Yeah, exact same lineup as against Livingston. Uh, hopefully, Forrest is fitting well. I've not read anything otherwise, so um, it makes me think that it's um, he, he should be good to go. So, yeah, the exact same team: Bain, Kenny, Ayer, Welsh, Taylor, uh, Brown, and Cal Mack in midfield with Turnbull at number ten, and Forrest, Moy, Elianusi, and Eddie as a front three. Uh, I think. Kennedy's talked about it and touched on it himself. And he's touching it there. Um, he likes playing that with that system because he he he, he is um, he can change it 
um, and he can put the four, the diamond in midfield as well. So uh, I think that's I think that's our strongest team at the moment, and I think that's what it'll go with. Yeah. When I asked you that question, William and you just went, yeah, I thought that was it. I thought you were going to leave, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to leave me hanging there, so thanks for adding on to that. <laughs> what, what about yourself, Anthony? What have you gone for? Um, I've literally went for, same as Wally, same team as last week, mate. I, I think um, that that was a team that was energetic. Um, it had a lot of, you know, sort of free-flowing stuff about it. Uh, I wouldn't... Uh, would not change anything on the back of a 6-0 win. Okay, the opposition was Livingston. But yeah, that, that side will be full and ready to go. And I just think, let them loose on the Rangers. Yeah, I think, I think that's what we're all hoping for, isn't it? Just to, just to get a good victory anyway. What about yourself, yep. Ross? Uh, aye, exactly the same. Uh, back four, Kenny Welsh, Ayer Taylor. Uh, and I've got Forrest now, who say either side, uh, Brown and McGregor way. Turnbull just in front of him and Edward up top. Uh, aye, no changes. Uh, it's probably, I would say it's our strongest strongest 11 available. Uh, and I just pray that Forrest is going to be ready to go. Like Wally says, I've not heard anything different. So I think they were going to do a late fitness test on them. That's the only thing I've heard. That, well, they were um, going to do a fitness test tomorrow, maybe. But uh, I, I, I mean... I really hope he is going to be fit, but if he is, they, it would epitomise our whole season to a tee. But, if he's fit, I think we go and win that game tomorrow uh, with that team. Yeah, no, you're 100% right, and it's not yeah, tomorrow, it's Sunday. Aye. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if this was going out Saturday. Because <laughs> I've been the holiday this week, I don't know what day yeah. <laughs> the, the, the reason why we've done the lineup predictions quite early on in the show is because we're going to do an old fashioned key battle segment. So, in terms of key players, where the battles are going to be on the pits, and to start us off, I'm going to go to William first. Where do you think the first key battle is going to be in, on the pits? Um, for, uh, for me, it's the front three. I, I think if the front three play like they did against Livingston, I thought the movement, the transition, um, if they play the same way they did and we we defend set pieces well, I think the other two key battles. So if the front three for me play like they did on uh, on Saturday there against Livingston, uh, I think there's definitely goals in us. Um I mean they've got I know the like Rangers like to push their full backs up, so if we if we have got the width and forest and, and El Yanusi, I think that's something we need to cap capitalise on. And Eddie needs to turn up. I know you've talked about it in the last podcast, Stephen. I, I totally agree with you. I think he's been um, so lackadaisical, and I know that's his style. He's like that Berbatov, where he kind of he looks like he's not interested, but um, I, I think he's one of these. He needs fans to feed off, but he's uh, he needs to just hit the ground running. And if if he turns up and the other two do as well, I think that's the the biggest key battle. Um, other than set pieces, I, I mean. I'm trying to think back all the previous games, and I think every game that we've played Rangers this year, every goal they've scored has come from a set piece, if I'm not wrong. So, yeah. if we sort right. that out, and and the front three do their, their business, then I can't see, I can only see one winner. Yeah. Well, come, for me, anyway, coming at it from a, a different point of, different angle here, anyway, I'll go to you, Anthony, for this. So, I've got a key battle, quite interesting, Kenny up against Kent. 
So two namesakes, obviously Kenny and Kent different, but you know what I mean. And then you've got Welsh and Alfredo, yeah. and then uh, Laxalt potentially against Hadji, depending on the way they line up. But is that key as well? Defensively, we need to be on point, as William rightly said, both set pieces and kind of holding holding them out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kent is their most explosive player, isn't he? I mean, he can yeah. sort of turn, uh, he can turn, make something out of nothing. It's absolutely important that Kenny sort of really neutralises his threat. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Stephen. Right across the back, they've got to be switched on. And that's exactly what we haven't been, especially at set pieces this season. It's been our Achilles heel. Um, we, we need to be switched on for first minute to last. Um, Morelos having that sort of monkey off his back a bit with the, the whole scoring against Celtic. I, I, I hope that a lot of the sort of sort of circus around that will, will hopefully go now. And, you know, there's not going to be this, you know, am I going to be the first centre-half or goalkeeper to sort of make the mistake that allows Morelos to score his first goal? He scored it now, and that's it. And it was um, a game that ended up, you know, kind of fizzling out into a draw. All these guys need to know that we're about to go into the biggest game of our season now. Um, and that can't be sort of under um, underplayed. Every single one of them need to be switched on. I would say the key battle area is the pitch. Every single one of them need to turn up because we have to build on Ibrox and we need to build on the last game where we got the draw, where we were by far and away the dominant team, but we were lackadaisical at the back when we needed to be switched on. And up front, we had so many chances and we were trying to walk it into the net. If you get the... And I hope the, the three against Falkirk and the six against Livingston is something we can build on that a wee bit sharper in front of goal. We will get chances in the game, but you're going up against, I'm sorry to say, the best goalkeeper in Scotland. So when you do get those chances, you need to be clinical. Yeah. I mean, sorry, just to jump I, in, Stephen. Sorry, mate. See, when you're talking about, and Tony rightly uh, pointed out there, Kent's their most explosive player and he can, he can turn the game. I actually think Kenny's a good matchup against him. He's not... Like we've had Fling Pong in the past, who's who was fantastic bombing bombing up the wing, getting forward. Kenny's not that type of player. He's more defensively sound. Uh, I think he's a good matchup against him. As is Taylor on the other side. Again, Laxalt's a bit more gung ho and he's got more energy going forward. But Taylor, for me, is defensive, much more sound defensively. So well, in the wing back areas, if we play them, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Just just to jump in, see an interesting stat about Kenny. Do you know when he was on loan to? Uh, Shaquille or whatever the, Schalke, you know, yeah. The, yeah, Schalke, Shaquille what am I talking about, <laughs> in, the, in the Bundesliga um, Coleman, Kingsley Coleman for Bayern Munich, came up against him, I think it was two or three times and never once dribbled past him I think yeah. that's quite an interesting stat, it just shows that he, he's quite sound defensively but I've been on record before saying he's the most boring player I've ever seen and I kind of <laughs> I, I, I kind of stick to that I mean for me as well, coming to you John, I've got a key battle down here for myself which would be Forrest against Barisic because we know, and yes, I'm coming at this impartially as well. I don't want it to be free green tinted glasses, but Barisic at the moment is probably the best left back in Scotland, and he's he's good sound defensively. I mean, they've got a good defence, but do you think that's a key one there as well for us up against him, John? Absolutely. Um, I mean, our weight, like I say, is hopefully we set up the same as we did against Livingston, uh, and we utilise that width. Um, I fully expect Forrest and Barisic to be one of the most important battles because I, I suspect we'll see a lot of out balls out on the right side um, with Forrest there. Um, so, but I, I'm more than confident that Forrest has it in him to, to get by him. Um, he's got the pace. 
Um, he's able to turn his man as well, so he, he can cut inside. Uh, and breaking breaking their lines as well is going to be absolutely huge. Uh, and I, I I don't know who they're going to be starting on the right, whether it's Parson or Balligan or whatever. But we've seen injured. previously Balligan's as well. Injured. Is he Parson? Parson, yeah. but again, I fully expect if Moy and Taylor can link up well out on the left, um, then I will give. We'll have a lot of opportunities down the left as well because I, I mean I don't know too much about the boy Patterson but I don't think he's all that um, and I think there's more than enough about Ellen City to turn them inside out and get him fit so I suspect yeah, the width the left and right you talk about Cafu <laughs> <laughs> this, is what, this is what I'm saying I don't know that, about that, him, but... that's it same suspension might, might stop him being Cafu aye sick man if he got a hamstring injury, he would boot for six games. That was the end of his career. So that, what he said, was absolute. <laughs> for one year, I, I, I personally thought his comment was quite... I mean, he said about Kenley said that, and he was like, I, I would be afraid of good players are playing against my team too. Like, come on the hell, the Patterson kids only play about two games for Rangers. But, I mean, if you, if you look at it as well, no one's actually touched upon the midfield battle. I'll, I'll go to you, Ross, for this. I've, for me personally, I think it's quite important that Brown has a good game and he's usually in the round Davis and Kamara. That's the type of players he'd probably be up against. But do, do you think the midfield, I mean, most over, most over, most Glasgow Derby games, not over mm-hmm. games, are, are won and lost in the midfield battle. We've seen that previously before. Is, is that another area that's fairly important in the pitch? Well, Stephen, write this down because I agree with you. It's what I was going to touch on The midfield battle <laughs> that? Uh, For ni- 99% of derbies Are won and lost In the middle of the park Scott Brown will be massive he, he, In a one-off game Like it's going to be on Sunday He's still up for the fight. In a one-off game, he can still affect the game. Over the course of a season, it's a different story. But uh, I, the midfield is key. Uh, Brown, is, he's the fighter. And I, 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 don't think, I don't think... that is Jack fit? No, Jack's not fit. No. no, right. See, that's going to be key, right? Because he he's like a... I know Kamara's a bit of a fighter as well, they're up for the fight, but Brown, if he's not got Jack to deal with and I don't know I don't know if Arfield will play. Mm. Uh, but Brown has got a chance of winning that midfield battle. Uh, and McGregor I know McGregor's no he's he's more of a footballer, but I for me the midfield battle is, is absolutely key. Uh, and if Brown can do what he does best and fight and be strong and we've got the Willen Runners, the Elanusi and Forrest either side of him to give him, like when he wins the ball back, to give him an out ball, a pass. And yeah. then let's, it, it, it allows, if he gets it wide to them quick, it allows uh, your McGregor and your Turnbull to go into pockets and then pick up the ball and affect the game in the, the final third. Uh, so I, for me, the, the midfield battle is the, the most key area, I know defence is massive uh, and we'll probably need uh, Ben to have a good game and also we need Al McGregor to basically have an okay game and just <laughs> didn't be thrown his cell about making worldies all day because that's just, just we just can't, we can't hear that, he, he needs to have just a normal game one day against us Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, another thing, another thing as well, touching upon the battle side of things, I think Ed- Edward, for me, needs to occupy the two centre-backs, whether it be Gozen or Hollander, mainly because we touched upon about the Livers' game. Midfielders were actually breaking lines and making runs into the spaces that were left if p- players were dragging people out of position. Now, I'll go, I'll go to yourself, Francis. Do you think... For this game to go in our favour, and I hate talking like this because we be, we should be wiping them off off the park every time we play them. But unfortunately, that's the kind of times we're in at the moment, anyway. But do you think it's fairly important that Eddie actually turns up and gives gives us a shift? Oh, 100 percent. I think he's got to. But I think he will because he's a bit like Dembele. It's just once the cameras are there, Eddie turns up. Although he's not been great this season, but I think I think he will. And I think if he put puts more El Unice up there. With them, I think the two of them in the previous game at Parkhead a lot kind of fizzled out. The two of them occupied the two Rangers centre halves, and the the Rangers defence didn't really know how to deal with the two of them. So I'm hoping a wee bit, we will play the diamond to an extent, so it allows uh, El University to play in that more advanced role central, and it it kind of goes in and Hollander whoever it is, they don't know how to. They've got they've got to pick up one each. Whereas if Eddie's up there, he sell. One can sort of sit off, and one can kind of pick up Edward. And if Edward's no like he's been the majority of the season, can't be asked. It's it's got to be just a walk in the park for the two. So uh, it has got to be a big battle. And I th- hopefully we dominate the midfield enough that it allows El Unice to get up there. And even well, if Forrest is fit, and Forrest can obviously get up there, and we can maybe maybe come a wee bit narrow, but also go wide, and it it drags our defence into positions they don't want to be in. Yeah, I mean, it, as, as well, in terms of the, the where they're coming from, just again, a different angle from this. I've got on here, they have the likes of Haji, um, Alfredo, Kent, Davis, Kamara, Rebo. That's the predicted lineup I've gone with. But I think, as Anthony rightly said, we'll end on this point anyway, you need to battle on the pitch. I got vibes mm. of Mel Gibson in, in the Braveheart film when, when he was sitting shouting, What's going on? Freedom! But but, see, see um, like to touch on Hajit, like with that, but like I think if you rattle Hajit first time, man, he's he's not interested after that. I don't get the hype of this boy. I don't get it. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Like I, I think it's just as Anthony said as well. It's it's just important that we're fighting the pits, we make mm. ourselves known, and we actually bring it to them and hopefully get a result. And also, if anyone's looking any coaches, if if anyone's looking any coaches, I mean we did amazing there. I thought. Key battles and stuff, tactics, talking. <laughs> so anyone look. I think, anyone I think this is coaches? going to be on the coach's voice the next day. Uh, Sky Sports lot just shortly, by the way. <laughs> get, get, get us on video, and I'll get the Sabuti Sabuti out. <laughs> show you the don't don't say video in front of the John, please. But yeah, um, I think I think it was a, a cracking a cracking thing to do, the key battle thing. But we'll move on to the the score predictions. John, I'll come to yourself first. What what have you gone for? Uh two nothing. Two nothing. Um William? Yeah. three nothing. Oh. Anthony. Uh, I'm gonna put my chips in the oven and say three one Celtic. Ooh, conservative. Ross. Um not fourteen six. I'm gonna go with two 0 Celtic. Francis. I've went, excuse me, 2-1 Celtic. 2-1. That's what I was going for. Mm-hmm. And just to go to you, John, again, your goal scorer predictions? Uh, I think Eddie and Moy. William? 
Yeah, I've got Elian Nussi to score two and Eddie to score one. Get your wages on it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eddie's going to turn up. Uh, Elian Nussi, and it's his last dance at Ibrox, so I'm going for a wee one for Scott Brown as well. Oh, oh I love it. Oh, Ross? Uh, I've went with Elian Nussi and Forrest, but if Forrest doesn't start, it'll still be 2-0, uh, and Edward will get it. <laughs> Francis, what, what about yourself? Uh, well, I've went uh, Elia this in Forrest as well, and just to be like Ross, I'll go with Eddie as well if Forrest doesn't start. Copycat. I've went for, <laughs> I've, I've went for Eddie to get one and Forrest to get one. But yeah, guys, that's, that's a fantastic way to end that segment. So what we're going to do now, we're going to move on to a bit of Scully's Cup nostalgia. This caused a bit of a stir in our group ten early on when I mentioned this. So... <laughs> What I'm, what, what I'm saying is, so a favourite cup or a, a memory that you have in the cup, it actually doesn't have to be to do with Celtic, if you know what I mean, because John made a brilliant point in the podcast on Tuesday. He was all about the Hibs victory, and I mean, we all remember the scenes after that game and the song they were singing and this, the, the goals, especially the last minute goal that they win the cup. But I'll go to yourself, Francis, first. What, what memory sticks out for yourself or game? Uh, for me, at Celtic to Dundee United one at Parkhead in ninety five ninety six, I can just remember being at the game with my dad. And it was just Dundee United had scored, and it just it seems like it was going to be one of the games where we're never going to score and stuff. The big Pierre, the cross ball over sticks the header away. Celtic Park just absolutely erupted. It was only minutes. I think it was eight to seventh minute he scored in. So there wasn't much time left in the game. So every, every fan's like buzzing because we thought, we've got a replay, we've got a replay. And then nobody really realised. And we sort of, obviously, the way this, the fans went watching the game up at the other, other ends and stuff, it was the next thing you know, Andres Tom's bearing down in goal. And he unleashes a shot that absolutely bursts in it, nearly knocked the temporary stand down. And... Celtic Park just erupted again and stuff. It was ah oh, for me that's one. And the fact that I was there with my dad as well it was just one of the best Scottish Cup memories I've got. Brilliant, unbelievable. I, that. <laughs> I mean, it actually you, you always explain things and actually things that are happening. It's pretty uh-huh. amazing. What what about yourself, Ross? Um, well, uh, it's that exact game. Wow. After all that earlier on the day, he's he's covered the same game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Similar to Franny, I mean, it was a brilliant game. Uh, Celtic, they 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 totally dominated the game, Uh, Uh, and uh, Ali Maxwell was in very good form. Uh, Dundee United. I think they, they, they won a penalty when about half an hour and uh, Br- Brewster won it would Goyle well first of all God only knows how Marshall stayed on the park conceding the penalty <laughs> but anyway we don't want to talk about that but uh, <laughs> I mean Owen Coyle he, he scored the penalty in fact he did he, he, uh, Marshall saved it and he scored uh, the rebound uh, but uh, you're hanging been no over them for half an hour and then we basically after that peppered their goal. Dundee United had moments herself, but then obviously Franny, what he's touched on, Pierre done what he done. Jackie McNamara won eh, a free kick out in the right, and he he put it in eh, for Pierre to score the the header six yards, eh, and then obviously Andy Tom, like he's touched on, eh, Jackie McNamara actually won the slide tackle in the middle of the part that that put him through. 
Uh, and as again, as Franny's touched on, <laughs> the, <laughs> the stadium went nuts. But I always remember uh, I was watching that, and my pals, uh, Dave Conley's, uh, we shout out to him. He better be an avid listener by now, by the way. Uh, but Hi, I, Dave. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in his house watching it, uh, and in 80 minutes, uh, him and his brother went back out and they got bored. They were like, we're never going to score. They went back out and started playing football because they were a lot better than me. Um, <laughs> I, decided, I decided to stay. And uh, when Pierre scored, sort of ran out and said, oh, we've equalised or whatever. And they were like, all right, I will get the replay. And then next minute I'm out on the street, running about the street, jumping about. There was two <laughs> one, fucking two one. <laughs> They're like, no way, you're at it or whatever. But uh, I mean... It always sticks in my memory that game because, like, I mean, we 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 got that win. It looked like we were going out, and that gave us the springboard to go on and basically win our first trophy in seven seven mm-hmm. or eight years. And it was Burnsy's first one as well as the Celtic manager. Uh... Uh, and to complete the the first, it was the first one that I could properly remember. So they three minutes uh, getting the two goals. Uh, for me, I'll always stick in my memory. I'll never uh, 100%. And it, it just it just allowed us to win that Scottish Cup and Big Pierre to do that towering header again against their dream uh, fight. Yeah. Uh, I so I for like although it was momentous in the fact that it was two quick goals for nowhere, it was more momentous for me because it allowed us to do what we done after that. Yeah. Oh, that's hundred percent right. Uh, well, it's 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 quite reminiscent of the the spin-off you done the Nopes Eleven when John and that were getting the exact same answers. Ross and Francis. But I'll go to your self. I'll go to yourself, John. I know you picked one the Hibs game, but is there any other one that sticks out in memory? No, if you remember the other game, and I know it's it's like the one most people are going to go to, but sealing that invincible season, and as it, it it just the magnitude of what we achieved that year, um, sealing that treble, then it without any defeats in all competitions, just the manner uh, that we scored that goal. And like I say, I, I I distinctly remember because I was down in Cornwall, I was visiting my mate Reese. Um, Who's he's not really a football fan. He he grew up kind of supporting Leeds and at a younger age, so he didn't really understand the magnitude yet. But I watched it. I stood in front of the. T- I practically stood in front of his TV for the entire game. Um, he just wasn't getting it. I was trying to explain it to him what was happening. He just wasn't interested. But I remember then, like after after Rogic scored, um, I I ran outside and it was pushing me rain. And I was just running about in my select top, just fucking screaming. Sorry about language, but I was just screaming. And just must have been funny for their neighbours as well, because they've just been looking at their window and seeing some Scottish boy screaming, <laughs> rolling at the sky in the rain, <laughs> running about the streets. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just, it, it was just a fantastic memory. And I, I was one of the ones that, like, they are with the Dundee United game, it's just, it sticks with me, because, I, like I said, it's just the, the, the magnitude of what we achieved. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a, a quite a, a an image of you running about and, <laughs> and the piss of rain, <laughs> shouting and screaming in the middle of some place you don't even know. That's class. It but, was but uh, about... r- rural, rural Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> like some boy, 
some Scottish boy howling at the skies with a Celtic top in the fish and rain. If anyone remembers that, please let us know. What about yourself, William? Yeah, mine's is, I, I'm not even bothered that John's jumped in because I think it's <laughs> many people's. Uh, I've got to say, my, my very first Scottish Cup memory was the, the 95 final where McKinley floated in that ball and Big Pierre was up like a salmon. But um, uh, yeah, my favourite memory's got to be Tom Rogic scoring that winner in the 92nd minute and just that image of him running in the rain, pulling his shirt almost off himself like Hulk Hogan did, celebrating with the fans. And, and again, it's, it all comes back to where you were and what you were doing. And I, I was I was actually with Tony. We, there was a load of us got through the train and we went to uh, Malone's in Glasgow. And, um, Love that place. Big shout out to Malone's. Love that place. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, there was a, a load of us went through in the train early doors. So we were pretty half cut before we, the game even kicked off. But I remember a bit of an eerie silence when Aberdeen went ahead and then Armstrong scored that goal. And then we were, we were all at, like, everybody's just, it was so tense. And then when Rogic scored, I've never felt euphoria like that. Um, we were all cuddling, screaming, greeting, uh, singing. The, the whole night was just, just an unbelievable, unbelievable experience and what an achievement for the team. Um, when the goal went in, I was celebrating. I was in Malone's in Glasgow. I think when it finished, I was in Edinburgh at some point, just <laughs> dancing away as well. Because it was just, honestly, you didn't know. I was cuddling my dad one minute, Tony the next, and then some random boy about 50 yards from me when I first started celebrating. It was just, like I say, the euphoria. And um, I, I went through lots of memories, and there's been so many, so many unbelievable memories as a Celtic fan in this, in this wonderful cup and this wonderful trophy. But I don't think there's any... That can that can beat that. Yeah. What, what fair, about your? Sorry, sorry to jump in, but to be fair, when Edward scored the second against Arch, that was a pretty. Oh, Ross, I want was... to special mention that because me and you were at it together. Uh, I know that's that's what I just <laughs> popped into my head there. That was that, that was an unbelievable feeling to be in the stadium at the time when what was that was the quad the the treble treble. I mean that's that's. Step back, Laugh and think up, man. what the hell we actually done. But again, again, doing it the Celtic way. We're not, we're not uh, winning comfortably five 0 We're like, oh my god, what are we doing here? This is. It's a good back for one 0 done in that game as well. Yeah, again, aye. aye. Shot, man. Was was this after you and Ross had that bath together? <laughs> a pre pre match bath. Uh, <laughs> what about yourself, Anthony? What have you went for? Ah uh, man, some great memories there. Just, just thinking back, I think I've just about sobered up for that treble, treble day, honestly. <laughs> uh, but like, like the, the the boys say, Stephen, I'm the exact same. I unashamedly love the Scottish Cup. It's it's one of my favourite football and tournaments, and I think it's a it's, it's a beautiful trophy as well. Actually, when you look at it, it's. Uh, but it, there's so many great memories. I'm going to go for. Um, I'm bringing it right up to date, uh, and it's purely through a family thing. Um, I'm going to go for. Uh, when the day we won the quadruple treble, uh, because on the park, like I mean, uh, without apart with for friends, um, apart from supporters, everything else about that game was unbelievable. It, it was, you know, a, a, an incredible uh, game. You know, th- you know, three three after extra time, then penalties. It, it had every bit of drama you could ever hope for, um, but thankfully, 
no way. Again, we were behind in the shootout and and, and clawed it back to to win the match. Um, but uh, about twenty odd years ago, my dad, who's not a drinker by the way, got as a present this um collector's Celtic whiskey. And as I say, as a non-drinker, it just kind of looked apart on the drinks cabinet for for all these years. And uh, you know, it just we'd we, never opened it. He did say if we'd won the ninety Seville, he maybe would have opened it. But he, it, it, needless to say, it didn't get opened that night. But um, and this is why I've picked this memory because you know, touching wood, this will be the last time we, we, uh, that, that this opportunity can ever happen. We'll never need to have a cup final in December again. But um, God rest her. My wee granny passed away last year in the in the summer, and uh, her birthday uh, is actually December twenty first, which, as you know, was the the day after um, the cup final last year. We played the, the cup final on December twentieth, and we'd sort of half, I kind of half mentioned it to him. After the Aberdeen game, when we won in the semi-final, I says, "Tell you what, I was like, you know, if we win, if we win the quadruple treble, you know, day before Granny's birthday, we got to crack open that whiskey, didn't we?" And he sort of, he, he sort of says, "Oh, aye, definitely," but we never really said any more about it. And then obviously, you can remember the sort of day, all the the drama and emotions of that day. You were like, at one point, it looked like we'd we'd blown it, and uh, then after all the celebrations and all the madness, everything had died down, and you know. <laughs> after we drank everything else in the house and uh, it was about God, I must have been about maybe 9 o'clock at night or something like that uh, my dad just went, right, are we going to open that whiskey then? And it was like oh, brilliant, we, you know, we totally forgot about it and uh, so yeah that, that, that uh, 20, 25 year old bottle of whiskey finally got opened and uh, we raised a wee glass to wee granny in the quadruple treble so as I say, I've got a million memories to choose from but just for that wee reason alone, I'm picking the I'm picking the most recent final, and not only that, the fact it was our fortieth Scottish Cup, and it was the first, we became the first side to win it four times in a row. So like, you you can't ask for any more than that, can you? No, I mean, you've I just mean... done it again. You've just done it again. You've done the same <laughs> in the, the extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> By the I'm way, can I just say? Off my cheek. Sorry, Ross. <laughs> I'm just wiped my tear off my cheek. See <laughs> <laughs> also though. Was the first three trebles no good enough to open a whiskey? Uh yeah, but <laughs> as, as you can remember, for the first uh, invincible treble, especially son, I couldn't hold my own. That's I was, I was seeing five years at one point, mate. Always wondering how he's and the treble, the treble. treble. <laughs> and the treble, treble. Uh, you don't like you, you brought it back to what it means. Everybody, it's family. It's the club we love and. Even though there was no supporters in the stadium, you still get that feeling when you watch the Celtic play. And you rightly alluded to it as well. It wasn't a Celtic win. They weren't, they weren't winning comfortably. They made us wait and made us hold on. And as you said, I mean, them types of moments, it's stuff you'll never forget. And that wee moment you had with your with your dad is something that will always stay with you forever. The, the whiskey getting opened, you can actually just imagine the scene. It's it's what you do well, Anthony. You paint the portrait, definitely. <laughs> but, but what I thought outside the box, when I said it didn't have to be a game, that Celtic were involved with. I truly meant that because I think, Anthony, as well, you said the Scottish Cup, the Scottish Cup is a, a cup we all love and I'm one for fairy tales and for a bit of the underdog and I went for a game. Do you remember Gretna? They got to the final. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's That sticks out in my mind only because of the fairy tale about it. They came from the, the lower leagues that went up to the Scottish Cup. They took hearts all the way to the extra time and unfortunately they lost it on penalty kicks. But, it's them type of moments that make a cup a cup competition. I'm sure you'll agree, boys. You you need you, you need that type of moment. It it makes a cup special, and it's what you look forward to every year. And yes, we won Celtic, wouldn't it? 
every year and every year possible. But the, for me, the, the Gretna one, not saying that's my favourite game, by all means. I mean, the favourite games involve Celtic, but I wanted to think a wee bit outside the box. And if you compare and contrast the squads they're up against, I mean, it was a fantastic run went on, and it went all the way to the final, and they lost in penalties. But again, it points to, it points to the fairy tale element of the Scottish Cup. And unfortunately, yes, Gretna's out of business, but that's something I think every Scottish football fan remembers. I mean, I think, I think oh, you all agree with that, anyway. But yeah, but yeah, but but yeah, guys. I mean, in terms of this, in terms of the show, we've covered everything. We even into a wee bit of a, a rant about the youth, which was which was brilliant, and we're all passionate about that. But before before we end the podcast, I want to draw the listeners' attention. We've recently started a special guest spin-off series, and at the moment, we've had David Webb on it, a contender, and still is a contender for the Celtic director of football job who's previously worked with Eddie Howe. That's on the podcast, so if you just want to check that out. We've also had a young Irish boy called Patrick McNally, who got his move to Celtic from Cliftonville Football Club at, a, at the young age of 17. He talks about the pressures of Celtic and what he went through to earn his chances, pro contract, the step up in standards. And we also have a new interview coming out pretty soon with John Heron. Now, John Heron came through the Celtic Youth Academy all the way from nine years old, right up to the first team, made his debut under Neil Lennon and subsequently made 22 appearances for Celtic. Unfortunately, injury cut his stay at Celtic short, but he tells us some fantastic stories within the Youth Academy. And we also have a nice wee, wee mention for Tommy Burns during that as well. He talks about how special Tommy Burns was, how, how he came to his house, and there's there's also funny stories in that. So keep keep an eye out for that. That will be out next week at some point. And also as well, a shout-out to Anthony and William, who've hosted their, their own spin-off series. William recently... Uh, took took control and took host of the Nopes at Evan, which is just a, a light-hearted, more like a joke and about the worst Celtic players that we've seen in our lifetime. Again, check that out if you get a chance. And well, um, and Anthony done a, done a show of the 21st century boys, basically a combined eleven with the best players from we remember as well. So it's kind of a compare and contrast, and it's a fantastic show. They both did a really good job. And guys, thanks for coming on again. This has been our Scotty's Cup special. Have you all enjoyed it? Oh, oh, absolutely brilliant, mate! Can't wait for Sunday now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, a good way to build up the weekend. And again, until Tuesday, until the regular podcast, we'll be all back on again. Stay well and keep safe. Heel, heel. <laughs>